so with that, this morning, let us open to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was an evening and there was a morning, one day. The next passage that we will be in will be in John chapter 1, and starting in verse 1 all the way through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that had been created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alexia. So this morning, I am here to give testimony, to testify who I believe Jesus Christ is. But this isn't just a time of personal testimony. It's not just, uh, this is what I have considered Jesus to be, or this is how Jesus has specifically helped me out. But no, um, I'm, I'm here to look into John chapter 1 and to realize that the testimony that I'm about to make, the things that I'm about to testify to, are in connection to somebody else's testimony. Um, that there is kind of this, this building of uh, statements about who Jesus Christ is. Um, what John's gospel is going to do for us, it is going to help us to see who God is and the many ways in which God has made himself known. That's a key idea, how God has made himself known. Um, and then people are going to encounter God, they're going to encounter Jesus Christ, who is in fact God, um, and then they're going to respond to him. And John's gospel is one of his disciples recording what these encounters, um, who Jesus Christ actually is, who, who he was and is. And what we're going to do is we're going to come alongside and we're going to, we're going to listen and we're going to learn and we're going to take uh, the words that we hear and we're going to try to then apply them to our lives. I, I, I believe, so one of my constant assertions is that one of the reasons why there are many of us who still wrestle with the Christian faith is because, it's, I don't think it's our intent, but it's we, we, we believe in lots of ideas about who God is or about who Jesus Christ is or about what it means to be a Christian. All of those are true, or at least they should be true. 
But we forget that it's about Jesus or it is about God. That these are not just truths, that they're not just principles, that they're not just ideas. That we're not here to celebrate or to lift up a particular cause or even, hear me, even a particular way of life as the best way to live. That's not what we're here for. We're actually here to worship. And honestly, you just, you can't really worship an idea. You, you, you can be moved by it, you can be encouraged by it, but in the end, it, it has a shelf life. It, it has only so much that it can provide, and, and that is a fundamental difference of what it means actually to be Christian. The other thing that we're going to see that this book is going to make so clear, I mean, all the Gospels do it, but John's like, he's underlining it bold. It's like he found the B-I-U line in his, and he's underlining in bold and italicizing this over and over and over again. Uh, lots of people have a, a, a strong interest or even an inclination or a willingness to accept God, to accept the existence of God, the idea of God. But what Christianity offers is something that I would say is, uh, at its very core, very different in, in the sense that what Christianity offers is this amazing story that the final and the best representation of God is found in Jesus. And Jesus was, in fact, a man. He was a human. It was God in flesh. And, and honestly, that is when the best people throughout history have literally lost their minds. They hear that statement and they become deeply disturbed and moderately to extensively frustrated and aggravated and upset. And before we just go, whoa, 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 chill. It's not that big of a deal. No, it is. It is to the majority of people in the world today to boldly assert what John 1 asserts, which is this, that in Jesus, God put on flesh. Like that, That's not just a fascinating idea. It, it's not just a, uh, a winsome or a loving idea, i.e. Christmas. Um, it's everything. It really is who we are. And so the bold assertion that I want to testify about this morning is not just that God loves you, but you'll know where I'm going with this, that God so loves you that he sent his only son. And, and, and that son died for you. And that whoever chooses to believe, and we'll talk about what that word means, whoever chooses to believe in, in him, in this son, the one that God has sent, will have life. And, and not just a life that begins, but a life that begins and then never ends. Do, do you see how radically different that is? And that is why, in this series, and even today, I'm going to ask you to consider believing in him. Maybe it's good for us to say this repeatedly. Um, and by the way, we're going to be in John from now until next Easter. Not the one coming up, but the next Easter. We're going to be going through it, because we want to go through it verse by verse. And, and we're, we need to say this to you repeatedly, um, that this belief that we have in Jesus Christ, as we look out into this room every Sunday, we never believe that everyone is a believer. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't assume that to be true. And if you are not, we are glad that you are here. And, and, but all, it is our strong conviction as we worship God that if you are not a believer in God through Jesus Christ, his only one, to whom is the only one that there is salvation in his name. He is the way to the Father. We want you to consider that. 
And not only that, for those of you who do not believe, but for those of you who are struggling with belief, for those, and you may not even be fully aware of it, for those who are at some level beginning to deconstruct their faith, their belief in Jesus, because of life circumstances, because of your educational track, um, because of the friends that you've chosen to associate with, because of something you found on YouTube. I don't know what it is that did it. I'm just telling you what John offers is a counterway than the world to understand who God is. And what we're going to see, particularly in these first 18 verses, most commentaries refer to these first 18 verses as the prologue, as John's way of saying, hey, by the way, heads up, this is uh, future attra- coming attractions. This is what's going to happen. So imagine that you're like sitting in a movie and all of John is about to be portrayed and then you've got kind of like the, the beginning. Here's what's going to be going on. This is the trailer. This is literally the trailer for John's gospel. And that is why this morning, and I don't even know if I can explain to you the difference between preaching and teaching. It usually sounds like preaching is when I get really excited and teaching is when I'm boring, right? That, that's really not the difference. This morning, I, I want to do a lot of teaching, if we can use that term. You'll get what I mean by that. But there's going to be a lot of teaching because what John is doing as he is presenting Jesus Christ is he is doing it very systematically. This isn't like John 3 where Jesus is encountering Nicodemus. It's not like in John 4 where he's talking with the woman at the well. No, this is John, it seems like, very carefully writing out and writing down. When you read John, it's almost like you read it and then you want to read it again. What did he just say? I think I missed something. Okay, what was that again? There's a lot of deep stuff, right? And that's why I think a lot of people love it. How many of you love John's gospel? I did this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, yeah, a lot of us love it. And it's because I think one of the reasons why is John, John in, the, in the mouth of Jesus, Jesus says things like, I'm light. And you just go, whoa, that's cool, man. Jesus is going to make, I am, I, am the, I, am the, I am the door. Wow, dude, he's the door, right? I mean, it's just kind of like, and by the way, it's like only in John does he even speak like that, which is interesting. John describes, and it's not like, you know, John wants to describe the philosophical Jesus. It's, it's not that, but he uses imagery, and as we unpack this, that, the Jewish people would have understood. But it's, it's like he doesn't want us to just go, hey, thanks for the life advice. It's like Jesus doesn't want us to, um, to just kind of casually come along beside him and learn a few things uh, and then try to put them in our life so that our life can just be a little better. It seems like Jesus truly is standing in the way. I'm, no, I'm the door. No, I am light, and if you're not in me, you're in darkness. No, I am the way, and if you're not in me, you're not in the way. Like, I am the one that's going to the Father, and I know you want other ways to the Father. I'm the only way to the Father. Like, it's weird that John has this, wow, I love him, and he's the most. He's also can be, like, the most offensive as he describes who Jesus is. But what you and I are going to do is that we're going to, to sit under this, and we're going to deal with the fact that what John basically says about Jesus is a testimony from John the Evangelist, the disciple, from John the Baptist, the baptizer, one of God's prophets, um, and then a number of others are going to make statements about who Jesus Christ is. First 18 verses. There's five things that I want to unpack that really describe, and it, it fits alongside. Alexi did a great job reading that Genesis 1 text because it's like John is very aware, good Jew that he is, he's very aware of the Genesis narrative. He's very aware that what he wants to describe, what he wants to talk about in terms of Jesus, 
finds its roots and finds its meaning, finds its context in what the Genesis story begins with. Uh, This is where it gets actually rather deep, and so you really shouldn't be surprised that John is going to talk like this. Um, In the end, it's not like he begins with, there was this virgin, and her name was Mary, and and an angel appeared to her. It's not that. John literally goes back to the beginning, and what he wants you to realize is that at the very beginning, which, by the way, is before the beginning, the beginning is before the beginning. It's before time, whatever you want to consider to be the start of that is. Scientists are still trying to figure it out. Good luck. At the beginning, in the beginning, before the beginning, what John's going to say is, was Jesus. Not, not a principle, not a force in the universe. Not, not just God, although God, but Jesus. Look at verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. Not not in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word. And now he's going to be using this particular phrase. In in Greek, it's the logos. You may have heard that. Even though you don't know Greek, you've probably heard that. Yeah, this is the logos. And John isn't just trying to be philosophical, although there's philosophy in it. Some would have believed that during this time that the logos was like wisdom or reason, not human reasoning, but just reasoning, that there was this this force that existed alongside of God. And by the way, most people during this time period, Jewish or not, would have went, yeah, like wisdom in in the Proverbs seems to exist alongside of God. And so they would have nodded, yes, 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 but look at where this continues. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and you would still hear with a lot of philosophical schools. Amen. I get it. I believe that. And then John steps into a whole new category. And the Word was God. And, and that's where he jumped the shark. That's where all of a sudden everything is fundamentally different. Nothing will ever be the same again. Everything is radically on a new plane. He was in the beginning. And now all of a sudden, we still don't know who the he is, although you and I know who the he is, it's Jesus. But he is now unpacking this, but he is unfolding this. He is in the same way that the Bible does, what the Bible does to us. And it it can be hard. It's why you never read the Bible as though it's flat, as though as God reveals himself in the same way all the time. No, there is something known as, scholars call it, progressive revelation. And what that means is that not only that God is revealing himself, but that God is revealing himself with greater intensity intensity and intimacy, that he is revealing himself in deeper and greater ways as he is going along. And so that is why you can't read Genesis 1 and John 1 as though they're just like the same. Well, they're the same, but they're the same like this. They're both talking about God But I guarantee you, the writer of Genesis, if he could have only imagined what he was really writing about, if he could have only understood how, all he knew was that God spoke, but he didn't understand what that spoke, that speak, that language. He didn't understand what that is. That's, That's Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. And and that, by the way, becomes a dividing rod for every religion in Christianity. He was with God in the beginning. And then verse 3, Jesus' connection to creation. All things were created through him, and apart from him, Jesus, not one thing was created that has been created. And so that's the fundamental difference, that we're we're talking about not another another, uh, another similar thing. We're we're not talking about, this is why you have to be very, very careful, even in your own thought process of trying to list all the great uh, thinkers or the great prophets, right? So you got Moses, 
uh, and you've, you've got maybe some of the, new, the, the Christian Paul um, and, and maybe Elijah in there. But, you know, you want to be fair. You want to be representative. And so you, you throw Muhammad in there. You might even want to throw like a great church father like Augustine. And then you also want to have, you know, because you're, you're, you're really getting, you want, to be, you want to be inclusive, and so you're adding other great thinkers, Voltaire or uh, some great philosophers, Nietzsche, and, and you want to just kind of put all these people side by side, and you're describing them, and you have Jesus in that category. You know, that's where you can sing that wonderful song, one of these things is not like the other, because one of these things created everything else on the stage, right? Like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, and this is what John is saying. That when we talk about Jesus, when we think about Jesus, when we challenge people to follow Jesus or to engage Jesus, we're not asking them to follow another way of thinking or another way of living even. Like it's not just another way of living. No, uh, many philosophers can offer you that. Can I give you a way in which I think it'd be helpful? Thank you, Jordan Peterson. I think, that's a, I think I could learn that. I really should clean up my room. I mean, there's ways in which we can look at people and they can, they can give us advice. And that advice, by the way, let's not pretend we have the corner on the whole market on good advice. No, we don't. No, we don't. But Jesus owns the complete market share of truth. Hear me. It all has to go through him. It's a fundamental difference. That's why Jesus can say things like, I am life, I am light, I am truth, I am the way. So last week, I was taking a class on uh, the first thousand years of, a, of, of Christianity, uh, particularly around in, in the uh, North Africa, in the African world, um, and how Christianity was, was developed and sustained and how it grew. And it was just a very, very encouraging class. One of the major sections, you probably know this if you know your history, Islam rose uh, in the 600s, early 600s, and then in the 700s. And we had to go back and we had to deal with a lot of the original, uh, the original manuscripts, original documents about how Islam presented itself. And Islam understood what John was saying and opposed it. And here's how they worded it. I thought it was very interesting. Here's they, how they worded it. God does not have an associate. They kept using that word. That's how it was translated in the English. God does not have an associate. And to be honest with you, I, I almost wanted, as I was reading this, I almost wanted to go, I agree. God doesn't have an associate. If by associate you actually mean, like, you know, a, a, a prophet that he means or a prophet that he is. If you want to take Jesus and just remove him to kind of like associate status, that's not what they meant. What they were really describing when, by the word associate was like God does not have a son who is in fact also himself. Like that's the part that they were arguing with and, and that's where I had to disagree. But they, they were so adamant. They would even like uh, recite even parts of the Nicene Creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Um, they, they would recite that as though it was wrong. Like they understood the implications uh, brothers and sisters, like, do you understand the implications that Jesus Christ is the one who created all things? That everything was made by him. Like you were made by him. You were made by his will and by his purpose. I, I think we would approach who Jesus Christ is. I think we would worship Jesus different. I think we would listen different. Because I think many of us, maybe it's just me, can be guilty of just putting Jesus, even though we know he's not, putting Jesus alongside other People who are offering advice or instruction, encouragement. And John wants you to know, no, it's, he's fundamentally different. 
He's fundamentally, in a, and I love this, he's in a different category of being. And, and that is why we worship him. That is why we take all of our hopes and our dreams and we submit them to him. That is why that when I and Jesus have differing ideas, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. If Jesus and I are not on the same page, I'm wrong. And I'm the one that needs to change. That's the difference. And do you see how that would just mold and shape? I also, the words of Christ as they speak to us, this is why the gospels are fundamentally different. That's why I don't apologize at all for saying, hey, we're going to be spending a year and a half going through John. Amen. We need the words of Jesus. We do need the words of Jesus. We need to be constantly going back to them. Why? Because he is the one who made everything. Not just creation, but Jesus. The next thing that we're going to see is Jesus and John the Baptist. Now, it's good that you add the phrase, the Baptist, because there's lots of Johns in the Bible. This isn't John, the brother of James. No, that's who wrote it. This isn't John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. No, loved. No, again, that's the one who wrote this. No, this is John, the baptizer. This is the one who came, who was this last of the prophets. And the purpose, I mean, look at how it's described, in, particularly in verses 6 through 8. There was a man... Notice this, strong distinctions in this section. There was a man, that's not Jesus, Jesus isn't just a man, but there was a man who was from God whose name was John. And then you can almost get a sense that what John, the writer of this gospel, is trying to get us to understand is the fundamental difference between prophets and Jesus. Between the one who is being pointed at, the one who is being spoken about, and the one who is speaking. And that is good for us to always remember. Is that as helpful, we're going to see it in a moment here, as helpful as Moses might be, as helpful as Elijah might be, as helpful as Scott Irwin and Drew Moss might be in our college ministry, as insightful as Justin Morgan and Drew, as great as they might be, as awesome as your mom and dad are, God bless them. Jesus is different. Look at this. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness, as someone who was going to testify, as a witness to testify about the light. And why do we testify? Why do we give testimony to who Jesus Christ is? John says it right here. Why, why do we ask you to share who Jesus Christ is? Why, why do we think it's so important that we don't just have a faith or have a belief in God, but we actually share that or extend that to others? Right here. So that all might believe through him. So that all might believe. So that all might trust so that all might have, and that idea of believing or trusting is so, it's much more active and engaging than we really understand. We often think of belief as a series of thoughts that one has, but in John's gospel, to believe in Jesus is to have this relational engagement, to, to have this ongoing trust in which I'm taking my life and I am folding it into the life of Jesus. That his instruction is ordering me, it is changing me, it is shaping me, it is molding me. Now do you see why John would look at you like you were saying something that didn't make any sense at all? If you were to say something like, I've got a friend, he's a follower of Jesus, he's just not following him right now. I've got a friend and he's a Christian, he just doesn't believe in Jesus. What? Oh, we're American, you don't understand. We've done everything on our own terms. That's truly what it is. No. You don't follow Jesus on your own terms. That, that fundamentally doesn't make any sense at all. How do I follow someone else on my terms? That's, many, many Christian people think they're following Jesus, and they're following themselves. 
And John doesn't give us that option. John the Baptist doesn't give us that option. I am telling you who he is. I'm telling you who I see him to be so that you might believe through him. Verse 8, this is good to remember about all prophets. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And, and by the way, John was a big deal. And John had a big following. And people began to leave John to go follow Jesus. We'll see this. John, are you okay with that? <laughs> sure. Like, I get who I am. Like, I understand who I am. This is why what we so desire at this church is that not that you fall in love with a particular idea, a particular style of ministry, a particular friend group, a particular teacher or preacher, or even a style of worship. Listen, all of those things can be helpful. All of those things pale in comparison to Jesus. What we want to keep pointing you to is Jesus, who he is and what he is about and we will do it to the best of our ability, but in the end, everything in this church has a shelf life except for one, and his name is Jesus, and he is the light. He's the one I'm pointing to. He is the one I want you to fall in love with. He is the one who will be there at all of our funerals, and then immediately following. We also see um, well, look, look at verse 15. This is another. Verse 15, actually, skipping a few verses. I love how he describes this. John testified. That word is just going to come up over and over and over again in this gospel. John testified. That's the Baptist. John testified concerning Jesus, and he exclaimed. Sometimes you have to yell so people can hear you. This is the one whom I said. The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Right? That's why it's so critical that we see this. John gets it. John understands who he is, and he's okay with it. The next thing that we're actually going to see in this text is that what we see with, 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 uh, with John's description of Jesus is that Jesus, um, uh, how he relates to the darkness around him. This is why the Genesis story is so critical. Um, a lot of us, when we look at the book of Genesis, because we live at a time period where science and scientism kind of rules the day, that a lot of our understanding about creation and how God made the world or how we think he may or may have not made the world is kind of pushed through the scientific lens, right? And so we're asking, were the days real or were they not real? Or how did the evolutionary process fit into how God was working? I mean, we might ask those questions. Interesting questions, by the way. But if you put it in the context of the ancient world and how they heard it, there were things, there were forces that existed that were uh, disruptive, uh, that, were, uh, that were harmful, that were broken. And, and some of those forces, two of those forces that you actually see in the Genesis story, one of them is darkness. That in the beginning was God. And, and God was before all things, and he then spoke things into existence. And the first thing he spoke into the nothingness, right, into the, into the darkness was what? Let there be light. Let there be light. And that light appeared because he spoke it into existence. What, what, is, what is light? Light takes that which is, which is, which is uh, broken, chaotic, that is, is somehow disruptive. Think about it. How much, it's amazing how much we don't even realize just the fact that we can make light like this has totally changed how we function. I remember thinking to myself when I had a paper to do, uh, the good news is, is that I have light so I can work all through the night. How many of you have kind of lived off that, right? Yeah, no, I mean, light, light, I can, produce, I can have light whenever I need light. I can make light whenever I need light. 
So you get the problems or the difficulties of darkness. Jesus was light. We're going to see that in this gospel. Jesus is light. And don't just go, oh, wow, so he's, he's, uh, he illuminates things. Yes, it's more than that. Look at what it describes, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and we'll talk more about that, John 11. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The, the, the life that men found was found in the light of who Jesus Christ was. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The darkness did not overcome it. So if one of those things in the Genesis narrative is darkness and light orders the darkness, light brings meaning to the darkness, right? It, it, it breaks it open. It provides uh, something greater. The second thing that we see in the Genesis narrative is what God does with, with the waters. He takes the waters, which we can't live in, we can't, right? We can't, can't survive in, and he orders it. He calls dry land from the waters, a place that we can inhabit, a place that we can dwell. So God in the Genesis narrative is the one who sees that which is chaotic and that which is disruptive, and he brings order to it. That's what's going on in Genesis. And that's what, that's what John is corresponding to here in his gospel. He's not just giving a picture of Jesus, but he's giving a picture of Jesus who speaks light into the darkness, who brings life to where there is death, who begins to look at a world that is disrupted and broken and chaotic, and he brings peace and order. That's why we have to deal with personally and in our communities. Is the life that we are living, is the, 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 live, or the lives that we have, like are they chaotic? Are relationships that we're in, like are they, are they disruptive and are they broken? When God breaks into it, that's why you'll see this all throughout John's gospel, and what he's doing, particularly here in these verses, is he's just corresponding to what God unveils in Genesis. God looks out where there is chaos and he creates order. Where there is nothing, he makes something. And that's who, that's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus is going to be constantly doing. That's how his miracles point to who he is. I mean, that's kind of this lingering effect that we have. I'm not just asking you to consider Jesus or try to apply his principles to your life, no, but to follow him and to embrace him completely and to realize that he's the only one that has the words of truth. Where else are we going to go? You alone have it. Like, where else could we possibly find peace and order? Which, by the way, in, the, in your chaotic life or in your broken relationships, how often have you actually thought that the answer to those things is Jesus. Now, now, by the way, we're going to have to kind of tease that out. We're going to have to work out what teachings of Jesus does he provide? What, 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 what words does he actually give us that help us understand about how this relationship should work? So it's not just this magic will just apply Jesus to it. No, but it is to know Jesus and to have the power of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us by Jesus in us, what we should see and what we should expect in our marriages and in our relationships is not chaotic destruction or division. Now do you see why when the Bible speaks about division or divisiveness, that's not of God. Chaos and broke, that's not of God. Separation, divorce, that's not of God. God reconciles. God brings light to the darkness. He brings peace to the chaotic. Can you imagine if we actually believed? I think we should believe. That by bringing Jesus into this conversation, to bring Jesus, the words of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, into how we commune and communicate with one another would actually bring peace. 
Jesus in the darkness. The next thing that we actually see is kind of a very interesting phrase, particularly in verse 11, but we're going to back up and start in verse 10. But Jesus and his own. Jesus and his own. Look at verse, we're looking at verses 10 through 13 here. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was created through him. We've already heard that. And yet, the world did not recognize him. The world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, this is where i got to kind of get a little bit uh, teaching-oriented. That verse in verse 11 is kind of interesting, because if you break it down, there's a lot of words that they had to add in the English so we could understand. But literally what he's saying is, he came to his own, and how to translate his own, the most literal, would be this. Jesus came to his own things. Jesus came to his own stuff. Now, you might be offended that he called us stuff and things. Listen, it doesn't mean that we're not like made in his image. No, no, no. He'll talk about that in a moment. But literally what he's referring to at the beginning of verse 11 is Jesus came to those things which he made, those things which he created. Like literally, it's good to recognize that the reason why Jesus can have expectation on everything that is in the world is because it is his. So look at how this sentence develops. Jesus came to his own things, everything that he had made, and then and his own people, and the word people's not in the Greek, but, but it, the, the, that word, his own, it, it takes on, like, what, who's really describing here now isn't just this kind of generic sense. No, now it is a specific sense. Jesus came into this world that he made, think incarnation, God putting on flesh. He came into this world that he made, and then that part of the world that he made that represents him the most, that represents him the best, humanity, men and women made in the image of God, how did they receive him? It says, and by the way, it's, John's going to be describing particularly Jesus' own people people, the Jewish people, but let's not just pretend they're the ones who struggle with this. But Jesus came to his own people, and they did not receive him. They did not receive him, which means they did not believe in him. They did not trust him. They did not respond to him in faith. They responded to him with aggravation. They responded to him with disbelief. They responded to him wanting to bring about his own death. John loves to talk about the aggravation of his opponents and how they planned and purposed his own death. And then in verse 12, but... To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. Is everyone in humanity a child of God? You know, the answer to that is yes and no. If what you're asking is, are we all made in the image of God? The answer to that is yes. We are all made in his image. The Bible is clear. And that is why it is so important that we treat others who are made in the image of God with respect. That is why we have a value for life in every sense of the term not just the selected senses that you and I might want to have. But we have this profound appreciation for life because all humanity, no matter the color, no matter the gender, no matter the ability or disability, has been made in the image of God. Wow. Wow. But to those who receive him, to those who put their faith in him, he gave the right to become children. Who does it say? Look at the end of verse 12. Who are the ones who are the children of God? To those who believe in his name. And that is why what is happening right now in you, what is happening right now is you are hopefully at some level 
engaging with or working with or responding to the, the person of Christ or the work of Christ or the demands of Christ, like the decision that you are making, the ongoing decisions that you will continue to make are eternal decisions. John 3.16 is true. For those who believe in him will have eternal life. And for those who choose to casually disregard him, for those who decide to just, no, I mean, I'm just going to kind of use him casually. I'm just going to kind of use him sparingly. I'm going to try to fit him into an already busy schedule. Then you did not receive him. But notice how this happens. Verse 13 should bring a great amount of appreciation and humility to all of us. Those of us who believe in him are not born, I think he's implying, of natural descent. Like, Don't just say, I'm Jewish. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm good. And don't just say, yeah, my, my grandmother prayed for me. Don't just say, yeah, you know, I kind of went to church when I was a kid and gave my life to Christ when I went to Youthquake or Falls Creek. Now, it's not just this, this natural descent. It's not just I grew up in a great family. No, it's more than that. I didn't, it, it, people are not born of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. That's the different picture. Which means that the reason why you believe, if you believe, is not because you're good or you have some special insight. It's not because you're, you're smart and you figured something out. I genuinely believe it is the work of God, and that is why the engagement, when you and I are sharing, testifying to who Jesus Christ is, we should spend more time praying. By the way, this isn't magic. It is God's active engagement and involvement in other people's lives. It is recognizing the end of ourselves, the end of our, uh, our ability to be smart or clever. And, and by the way, for those of us that kind of laugh at those people who thought they could convert people with their cleverness, did you really think we've made much of an advancement when we just tried to just show love? Like somehow that was going to do it? Like we have the corner on that market? We don't. We don't have a corner on showing kindness to others. We don't have the market on being clever and insightful and winsome. No, we have, when I say we have the market, I mean, we just have the truth in Jesus, and that is why we love. And that is why we bear witness to. But it is Jesus himself. It is not our cleverness. It is not our winsomeness. It is not even the way in which we love that is going to transform people's hearts. All of those things make a way, till the soil, uh, create a context where a conversation can really begin to take root. But it is an act of God that brings about transformation. John's going to make that clear all the way through this book. The last thing, which I've already kind of touched on, but John ends with this, and I think it really leads well into our time around the Lord's table, is Jesus the Son and God the Father. Jesus the Son and God the Father. Again, the Muslims would say that uh, God does not have an associate. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses really got hung up on just one tiny little lack of a word, lack of what is known as a definite article in verse 1. They would read this, and the word was a God. And just because in the Greek, and they're right, there's no definite article there, meaning the God. They, yeah, see, he's not God, God. He's just a God. The Mormons have a different view of who he is. But John, actually, I don't believe, gives us that room. John says, no, Jesus, the Son, is in fact God. And, and this is why in a moment we will worship him. We will worship Jesus. We, we dare not ever worship another man or woman or idea, or principle, but we will worship Jesus. Look at verses 16 through 18. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. 
See, grace comes through Jesus. For the law was given through Moses. There's two big words in the Jewish community, law and Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Like Even Moses couldn't like see God. The one and only Son who is himself God. For those of you that are wondering, did Jesus ever claim to be God? Or did his closest followers ever claim that he was God? Let me read to you it again. It's rather simple. The one and only Son who is himself God. I mean, it's clear. Now, I'm not saying you believe it. I'm saying John is testifying to that. And by the way, I believe it, just for the record. Who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Which means that what you and I have in Jesus is, in fact, the perfect picture of God. I wish God would just make himself known to me. Anybody else? I wish just God, he did in Jesus. Yeah, but I'm looking for something a little bit more. I know, I understand that. I sometimes am as well. But just stop and think for a moment. You're looking for something more than Jesus? Well, you know what I mean. No, sadly enough, I do. Because I've said it. I've thought it. John is giving us Jesus again. He's reminding us of these deep and powerful truths, which are great pointers at a greater and powerful reality. Jesus. And so to make it clear, I'm not asking you to consider a new way of living, some great principles that will help you manage your relationships, and even when I talk about that, it could even help begin to bring peace into your life, or meaning after you die. All of those things are true, but they're only true because of Jesus, who was in the beginning with God because he was God. And only in him will you ever find life or light. And only in him, listen to this. This is the shocking testimony that offends many, many people. And I will say it no matter what. I, I, will, I will say it in love, but I will say it repeatedly. But the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And that's why. We can come to this time around the table. And that is why Jesus in John 6 is going to talk about his body and his blood as being something that you should engage in. And literally, when we get to that, he talks about you should devour it. There should be this eager engagement with who Jesus Christ is. And if you think about it, the communion is not just, hey, let's remember this event. No, it's let's remember this person. Let's remember who Jesus Christ is. And so that is why Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, that he took the bread and he broke it. And he didn't say, and I've got some really good ideas for you. No, he said, this is my body, which was taken and it was, it was given for you. And he personalizes all of this. And so you and I come around the table this morning holding this bread, which represents not an idea, but Jesus and we eat. And we take the cup. And this is the blood which represents the atoning work 
that he has towards us, making peace with God, and he gives it to them. And he doesn't say, I got one more idea for you. Write this one down, James. He says, no, this is my, this is my blood that brings peace to you with God. And I give like the world does not give. I give real peace. Take and drink. So in light of who Jesus Christ is, all that he is, and all that he has done, may we, the people of Jesus, now stand and celebrate that as we sing.